0: Just even in my life, I tried to just do everything the most efficient way possible. Because the key now is that like, you've got to that level, and that's awesome. Let's keep you here. In Counter-Strike, so many of the things are in the timing, right? Sometimes one second is way too much. Because I feel like some of my persona in Counter-Strike changed who I was as a person. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to the DDK Show. Today we'll be doing another solo episode. Uh, a few people have actually requested that I do more solo episodes, so I actually appreciate that because it's sometimes you know it's uh, I'm in a position where I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, it's, people don't want to hear me talk just by myself. The value is the guest, you know. But uh, it's good to know that some people do like these, and we will be going and covering today. Uh, questions that I received on Twitter. I made a call to action asking you guys for any questions that you may have relating to performance and you know I want to address those issues on my podcast and it should be quite fun so let's get started. The first question is from Eric Stromberg. Some of you may know him as Debez and he asks caffeine. I've always taken caffeine when gaming my entire career but I have high levels of anxiety when under pressure could people similar to me actually be at a disadvantage taking energy supplements before matches? Now, I have to say that caffeine is definitely a, a wonder drug in many senses. It can definitely help with you know, alertness, you know, focus, and and you know, prevent you from feeling as tired um, as opposed to waking you up. It's more about preventing you from becoming more tired and also, you know, kind of giving you some more focus, but it does actually have, you know, an effect. To increase anxiety in some people, depending on the dosages, and obviously everybody has you know vastly different physiologies, so it's uh, it's one of those things where you really have to feel it out. You know, uh, one thing that I have stacked with caffeine, which has been pretty effective for me, is L-theanine. If you're going to go that nootropic route, and you know, suppose you are with the caffeine in the first place, and so those those are two things that work for many people together to. Basically, counteract the side effects that aren't as desirable on caffeine to give you a longer-lasting, you know, focus and alertness. So that's something to try. And if the L-theanine thing doesn't work, it could just be that you know you're more prone to getting uh, you know anxiety in general or in general from you know, taking something like caffeine. So I would imagine what would be a good course of action would be to actually completely abstain. If you've never tried doing that, it could be very worth it to. Effectively understand what the impact is. Uh, unfortunately, you know there is no one answer because our bodies are all different. So experimentation is is key. We've got to kind of treat ourselves as human guinea pigs sometimes. So I think I think for you, Eric, those would be the two suggestions I would go towards. But for anybody else interested, uh, definitely you know check out caffeine. Uh, if you feel someone that always consumes caffeine, try jump you know try throwing in some L-theanine some. High quality L-theanine in there as well, and and do some research as well. Make sure that you know before you take anything, and even if it is as potentially inert as something like L-theanine, make sure that you research it. And you know, I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to give medical advice, but it is just a nootropic, a supplement. But make sure that you practice. You know, goods. Make sure you have good thinking practices, and you know, take things seriously in that sense, and don't be lazy. Whatever you're doing, make sure you try to understand it as best you can, and uh, and experiment. Right. So the next question is from Wavepunk Caleb Simmons, someone I've worked with before. He's hosted a bunch of Twitch rivals. Amazing guy, very musically gifted. Uh, so you know, check his his uh, his Twitter out at Wavepunk RL. Rocket League is his main his main domain. But he asks, how do players in a grand finals avoid getting overwhelmed by the gravitas of the stakes of the match and just play the game like normal? Now, I think uh, a lot of athletes have different methodology in terms of different methodologies in terms of how they manage pressure. And some people just take the, you know, the basic approach, which is just keep doing it and eventually maybe it works for you. <laughs> um, unfortunately, as, as rough as that sounds, that is the approach of, of many. And some people adapt well and some people don't. And some people take to it like a duck to water immediately. And on a stage, their first stage appearance, they'll just be great. And the pressure really, they thrive uh, in in pressure and they really feed off of it to effectively make them an even better performer than they could be anywhere else. And for some people, it completely destroys them and it takes them a long time to adapt. There are definitely a lot of tricks, I suppose, and ways you can work on it. And one of those is that, you know a practice that you know you always are understanding that you're doing a job like you're there specifically for a reason. You're one of the best at the world in what you do, and you're doing a job. And in your preparation for that match, you understand better what that job is. Like when you're in a match, when you're in any one scenario, you have a, a list of things to do. You know, if it's especially if it's a team game, and just being putting yourself in the best position to be as focused as possible on each particular task. Um, I was trying to isolate, you know, those tasks away from the, the greater meaning and to understand that what you're doing is just you know, exercising your craft, exercising your preparation and your practice, then then you'll probably that that in of itself is is a pretty good start and that can get you pretty far. Obviously, you know, as stakes rise, as you go into new territory in terms of maybe it's not just a stage match, maybe it's a semifinals, a grand finals, maybe it's a qualification match, whatever it might be, something that you're not used to it does it can take an adjustment period for some people and for some people some of the way that you take off the edge is just by having the experience of doing it and that repetition for some people is needed unfortunately and that repetition gives you the idea that in your know, in your head that i've done this before it's not so scary i've seen the other side it's not so scary i'm not going to get let's say fired from my team and my contract thrown in the in the in the incinerator i'm not going to get What's the term? I'm not going to get. Um, I'm not going to be sent into excommunicado. You know, from the team, and you know, my family is not going to talk to me anymore. You know, whatever it might be, like nothing bad is going to happen. Obviously, it's not great for your career if you bomb, but it's not any one game that's going to define you as a as a player. It's you know, you, it's typically it's, you know, it's going to be your hardships and how you deal with them that really defines you as a player, as it would any professional. So, um, you know, one thing is is just getting on that grind. Unfortunately, that's one of the most important things. For, things for a lot of players another important thing as well is is really understanding you know who you are and you know why you're there i think is a really important thing because there can be a lot of different psychological elements that can throw people off you know one of the ones i suffered with actually was i'm speaking to you right now where you know it it goes into that kind of imposter syndrome type of thing i've mentioned on the podcast i did with jared tendler whereby for me I didn't feel like I necessarily belonged where I did it. Of course, I did because I was there. You know, I was good enough and I qualified and I worked hard enough to do that. but there were always I found all these excuses, all these reasons why I didn't belong there. and if you don't if you if you have that feeling it's it's going to eat away at you and you you won't ever feel comfortable. you won't ever feel like you're in your element because you're trying to take yourself out of that element by having an incorrect thought patterns. So, you know some people again can manage with those things, and they can just execute regardless, but for others it it can be very impactful. You know there's a lot of other things that you know go into performing on stage as well, and you know one of them as well is is the ability to be able to reset, and that's in of itself as a skill, and there's lots of different tricks I think for you know trying to apply a mental reset. One that I particularly uh, enjoy is I forget which tennis player I got this from, but I think as a tennis player, who basically they, they created this feedback mechanism whereby every time there was a mistake made by this tennis player, he'd slap his uh, thigh. And he, he would slap his thigh um, and, and think about, okay, every time you know, I slap my thigh, you know, it's, it's because I made a mistake. But mistakes are important. Mistakes are me on my path to greatness. For every mistake, you know, I get stronger. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm a human being. But with each mistake I have an opportunity to show that you know I am a champion and that I and that, that it's completely fine and and basically and, and this, this is really important in some senses you know to have some kind of a process for this whether it be you know if it's in it's counter striking you do get that natural downtime to kind of take a breather and take a moment to kind of reset yourself mentally and to prevent a poor and or let's say deconstructive or or let's say destructive uh, thought patterns from happening. You need to be able to remind yourself that you are a human being, you know, that you that this one mistake is not defining of who you are in your career, that you know you're here for the right reasons, you're here because you earned it because you deserve it. you're here to do a job and you're sort you know get your mind back on the task at hand if it's necessary to even address some of those things in the first place. Sometimes people can take a bad beat and they can deal with it pretty effectively other times it does require a bit more mental work. Again, it depends on the person. Some people inherently have more negative self-talk than others. Some people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Some people don't put enough pressure on themselves. And there's another element at play here as well, because there's, there is no one answer in terms of the self-talk because some players, some people, you know, their minds work in a way where they might be very fiery, and they may feed off of the pressure. They may feed off of being hyped up, and they want to get you know, really energetic. They want to start shouting to their teammates. They want to be, all, you know, loud and and you know, throw that energy around, and you know, be chanting that you know that um, you know, I'm the best in the world, and all this kind of stuff, right? To really force that narrative that I am the best. I'm going to crush everyone. All this kind of stuff. For some people, that's really effective. And for others, it's not so effective because you may be creating, for some people, you may be creating an unrealistic narrative that doesn't make sense. So you don't want to force a narrative that doesn't make sense to you. Again, these things have to resonate with you and the kind of person that you are. For example, there's a reason why Stanislaw doesn't go absolutely mad and get super like mega hyped. I mean, look at the guy. That's just not the kind of player and person that he is. He's much more... At the outset, I haven't actually had a proper conversation with Stan, but from the outsider, he looks like a very introspective, a deeply analytical person, somebody that's not going to really work well off of like pumping themselves up. He doesn't need to do it. He's somebody that's got his eyes, you know, he's focused on the job at hand and that's how he's going to tackle everything. And he has enough confidence in his preparation. He has enough kind of core belief already, inherent confidence in his ability already. And he has a lot of experience. So that's that's going to be enough, I think, in his case. And I can't wait to get him on the podcast at some point, and I can talk to him about his process for stuff like this. But there are some people that do need to get hyped up. and it's it's this is you know <laughs> this is one of the amazing things about playing at the top level is is figuring out you know what collection of specimens you have on your team right, who responds to what? Because it is really important because if you do have one guy, who has an energy that's, that you know, could potentially be off-putting to other players or vice versa, that can potentially create problems. So you kind of need to understand these dynamics. Did I miss anything? Did I want to mention anything more on this? I think, uh, I think that'll do for now on this topic. This is kind of one of those topics where I actually want to explore it a bit more uh, in detail with certain individuals and, and you really kind of get into more nitty-gritty. But I think that's, that's a decent enough place to, to leave it for this moment. And we can get on to another question. Thank you very much, uh, WavePunk. Alejandro Acevedo asks, and again, sorry if I butchered the pronunciation. How can you readjust to playing CS seriously after having taken time off? I think that this question is um, pretty, there's a lot of lack of information, I would say for me to answer this one. But I think that one of the things about playing CS seriously, like what that, that part of the sentence means is a huge time commitment, a time commitment and a level of priority that's going to supersede other things in your life. So, you know, effectively the readjustment is just making, like taking time away from other things, whether that's now you're, you know, suddenly you found yourself single and you have more time to dedicate to the game because of that. Maybe you're, you know, you're having a hiatus with your studies or your work and that allows you the time to do it. But but ultimately, you know, if you're having to readjust to, to doing it, I don't know if it's really much of an adjustment as it is just you... You know, moving your priorities around, and in terms of like having taken time off, you know, I'm reading in, you know, from that that you're not, you know, ready for like these eight to ten hour practice days um, immediately from the outset, and maybe you've also missed out on some of the, you know, the way that the meta has changed and everything else like that. So in that instance, you know, I would I would be saying that you need to be on top of the professional scene. Uh, You know, I think picking a few teams or players to follow, and and taking more. Uh, paying more attention and closer attention when you follow their matches can be more informative than trying to watch everything that's happening at once just because you get to establish some a, a baseline a foundational understanding of how a team plays and so when that team plays differently or when the players you know play differently you get more of a sense of what the logic might be behind that which is more informative than trying to to kind of go too wide with the approach in terms of your analysis uh, of you know when we're appro- you're approaching learning the game after taking time off, and on top of that, you know, definitely one thing that's really uh, interesting to do is if you ever wanted to experiment with your setup when you come back after a big amount of time off. That's a perfect time to do it because you're already rusty with what you used to use, so it's easier to introduce new things as well as. It being the case that it's it's also easier to deal with the fact that well, how how should I put it? I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Whenever you try to switch settings, there's always this thing in you know in the back of your mind where you know you're you're trying to commit to the, these new settings, this new sensitivity or new mouse or whatever it is, and you're thinking to yourself, "I played back, I you know, I just want to go back to like feeling good like I used to on my old settings. I know I changed it for a reason, but at least because I'd played so much with that, I know that if I switch back. It would feel like good you know, for again, you know. Again, and I start fragging and stuff, like to kind of abate that kind of a feeling and diminish it, make it feel you know less less of a thing. Um, having taken loads of time off, if you decide to suddenly um, change your settings when you come back, you can't exactly fantasize about how well you used to play on the old settings because you're rusty as hell. So, so that you know, it helps with that. So, I don't know if that really helps to answer your question. I think I would need more information. Okay. Hefe asks, how come I have sick aim in deathmatch but can't hit anything in an actual comp match? Well, I just made a video on my YouTube about that. So you can go find that and I'll, I'll link it. I'll link that directly to you in the comments. Right. Brandon Ken asks, whenever I get flamed for under, underperforming, I often feel pressured and perform even worse or just get mad and can't focus. I'm not sure how to combat that. This is a really good question. And I actually touched on this. In fact, in the video I just referenced, you know, your are kind of. One of the big problems here as well is that most, and this might help um, you in some respects, I would say like 99.9% of people you're probably running into in matchmaking probably have no idea how the game actually works uh, in any level of complexity. So what they're actually doing is they're, they're making a judgment off of an outcome that they don't even, even really understand in the first place. So not only do they have a poor success metric, they don't even understand why the things that have happened have happened. So they're extremely ignorant. So you're effectively getting somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about trying to criticize you. And obviously, <laughs> that's ridiculous, right? It's kind of a ridiculous thing. But it is kind of isolating when you feel like people are being you know, aggressive to you on your team. And that's the last thing you want to feel like when you're playing on a team. You don't want to be in a position where they're isolating you. So in, instead of you know wanting to go back on the attack, it's more about nullifying it and also kind of taking it in your stride. And... There are there are various ways to tr- to try to do that, and one of the most important things is making the, the conscious decision that you are the best and most informed critic of your own game. Unless you have like a coach or someone else that you had, you know that you trust and you hand that that mantle over to, that should always be you. In any discipline in life, you should be the most informed person. If you take anything seriously enough, you know you know you should become the student of that thing, and you should be studying it. You're going at your own pace. Um, you're you're experiencing the journey as as you as you are supposed to experience it, you, know, you personally, and no one can really you know fuck with that. So that's that's something whereby you know if you kind of start to instill that mentality and you're doing the work. For me, I always found that that gave me a lot of confidence that I knew I was doing the right thing, and I know that I'm on my path, and, and I'm taking a great degree of care in shaping that path. So that really took, uh, takes a sting out of it for me. With regards to how other people react. And indeed, you know, the other thing too about it is the fact that like when you're underperforming, like what even is an underperformance? I think it, one other thing that can be quite helpful is thinking about the game in terms of sample size. This is one of, a very useful a trick I got from the poker world when I was playing a lot of poker. Is oh man, that was almost 10 years ago now. Um, but it, one of the, the ideas is the idea of sample size. Obviously, in Counter-Strike, it doesn't really mean too much. But in, in the world of poker, obviously, sample size is everything. To you know, test a strategy that would make sense, you have to have a sample size of you know, hundreds of thousands of hands played to see if that strategy actually works in the current meta. And what's interesting to think of it in this sense is the fact that you begin to realize that, you know, much like in poker, Counter-Strike has a huge degree of inherent variance Again, especially let's say you're solo queuing and matchmaking. Let's add more variants. You're selecting maybe one of three maps at any given time. You have you know nine random people in the game. You have a game in which everything is going to be different, probably every single time. Um, there's no two Counter Strike matches that can possibly be the same. And in terms of you know, the way that people move around, the timings, the just all of the things that happen, the, the scenarios that happen, you're playing with imperfect information, so you can't even make decisions consistently. And whenever you're making a, a guess as to what the best play is, it's kind of like poker as well in terms of putting another player on a range. You're going to make a play based off of your best guess, basically, of what the other people are doing. And you can't necessarily be, be 100% sure. Yeah, you smoked off a position, but a guy could run through that. A guy could be sitting in the smoke. Maybe he didn't rotate because of that smoke, like people, let's say 90% of the time they do. And that could change everything in the way that you are approaching the round. But you just can't know that. You just have to operate off of the best guess. So there's all these random things happening. And then look at it like this. On top of that, you yourself are going to be inherently inconsistent in your, in your ability to aim. Now, your job in your practice and your preparation is to raise the average. You can't always be at your best. But what you can do is raise the average. And what you can also do on top of kind of consistently over time raising your, your average, your baseline you can also look at it. And I think this is such a helpful thing. Again, I, I'm going to be referencing probably forever the Alige podcasts and the Jared Tendler podcasts, um, where you know they, they talk about the A game, B game, and C game. And you know, shout outs to to Jared who, you know, talk writes about this in his books, The Mental Game of Poker, which you can get for free in Audible form if you go to Jared Tendler's website and and I think it's forward slash free, I believe. So I think it's like jaredtenler.com forward slash free, something along those lines, you'll find it. It's really easy to find it. And I think I link it in my podcast with him as well in the description on YouTube, so you can find that too. But looking at it in this way, I think it really helps to give clarity to the fact that even if you know, if Elisha is struggling with having an A game, a B game and a C game, all the rest of us are going to be as well. And so recognizing that sometimes you are going to be in your kind of your bottom 30% and sometimes you're going to be in your top 30%. But kind of treating but recognizing those conditions and treating them appropriately accordingly is the key in this situation. Because the more familiarity you get, the more reference points you get as to what these different levels are of your own game, the better, the more insights you're gonna have as to how you should play. And also the more acceptance you'll experience when you when you can just be like, you know what, today I'm in my C game and that's okay. And just understanding that that's part of the process is. I think very liberating in many respects. It's frustrating at times because you can't control that. But That's another thing that's important is that we need to recognize the things we can control and can't control. You have to take action on the things you can control and you have to understand that with the things that you cannot control, you just have to understand how to work around them and just let them exist and be as they are. And that's really important because if you start to live by, you know, let's say, how did uh, Jared put it? Oh yeah, the illusion of control. If you start to live through the illusion of control that you think you can control, things that you can't control, what it does is it creates expectations that are simply only destined to be destructive and only simply serve to contribute to bad thought patterns in the long term. So, and and you're going to experience, you're going to run into walls later on uh, doing that. So there are, some, there are a few things um, to think about Brandon Ken, that could help you. If you have any uh, any additional questions on this, I would love to to answer them. If I just you need know, to shoot them to me at the Discord or maybe you know respond in a tweet, whatever it might be, and uh, you know, because I'm sure there's other things like you know, other areas to to this. I mean, this is a great topic. It's a huge topic. Lots of people experience this, and so I might even make some you know something more dedicated to this, which is um, which encapsulates even more concepts behind it. That could be helpful. Uh, but thank you for the question. Right, Reality CSGo asks, how do players deal with brain fog or a period with lack of focus? what do they do to get their head back into the game? I think uh, you know, this does play this question does play into some of the previous things that we talked about, whether that, you know some of the ways in which you kind of deal with pressure, some of the ways in which you mentally reset. And it also kind of goes to uh, Brandon Kens's question about you know, underperforming and, and kind of how do you process this? Because again, one of the problems that tends to happen when we underperform is that we compound the problem by obsessing over the fact that we're underperforming because we have this expectation of what we, you know, we think we're capable of. And if we don't meet that expectation, then we are sad. And if we don't meet the expect, and we put pressure on ourselves because we want to meet that expectation, we're always trying to push towards it. So the expectation there is part of the problem which is why I was kind of mentioning those previous mentalities, which are healthier and recognize the reality of the situation as opposed to, again, putting forward this illusion and trying to work from an illusion, which was only destructive in nature. And so, um, you know, similarly, uh, this is one of those things whereby if you're in that brain fog and you're feeling like you have a lack of focus, the worst thing to do is to try to force it. Sometimes you just are fatigued and you have to respect it. Some days you will just be more fatigued. There is not a magic pill. You know, there's no sensu beans, uh, whatever it is in Dragon Ball Z that you're going to take that and suddenly you're going to pep up. Sure, you can get a bit of sugar in there and you know try to like bump your energy levels. You, know, you can take. You, there are things where you know maybe if it's maybe you, you take a break, you go for a walk, you refresh your mind. Um, one thing that's positive for me, if if and if we're talking, you know, this is a, the case whereby we're talking about okay, I get to take a break between matches or something like that, but not mid match. Then, yes, you know, if you go and I found going and doing something like taking a walk and listening to a podcast, it can be very, very useful because um, sometimes the fog comes from an over focus. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, sometimes you can be so tunnel visioned, you're restrictive of ideas. You're kind of, let's say, dug into certain patterns and ways of thinking and you hyper focus even more and you just get very dug into one pattern of thinking. And this is, this is a problematic situation because it kind of kills your intuition system uh, from really doing its job, which is intuit things that are happening in an extremely ever-changing environment with a huge amount of variables. So you know, if you get into that mode, you need a reset because that's going to create bad performances. You're going to just get things wrong a lot of the time. Doing something where you stimulate your mind in a different way and you can kind of like have a focus on other things is, is a good refresh I have found personally. But if, you, if it is happening during the game, honestly, like it, sometimes it's just the case that you're too tired to play and maybe you just hang it up for today and just recognize, hey, I'm too tired to play today. I had this, this thing for a long time where I, I decided to kind of regiment my training significantly. Again, I referenced this a bunch of times because it was the last time I played competitively in 2017 when I came into Quake Champions. I had less time to practice and play versus everybody else. So I had to approach my training in a way where I felt like given everything I've learned up to this point, and it was just kind of cool for me because I got to test out a lot of stuff I hadn't done before. And I found out that a lot of it worked for me at least. But what I did was I had this this routine where I prioritized above everything else, sleep. And so what I would do is I would make sure that my, you know, understand how much energy I had during the day and make sure that I understood that this is a finite resource and that I'm going to use that in the best way possible. So, and as I mentioned, I think on a previous video, I've I've done so much content recently, I don't even know anymore which one it was, but um, I used to go, you know, I would go to the gym first. uh, That'd be one of the first things I would do after having breakfast and, and maybe doing a little bit of work here, you know, answering emails, all the rest of it. Go to the gym. I have, you know, some various goals in the gym, come back, eat some food, and I wouldn't go too heavy. And then eventually, you know, after maybe an hour or so, after doing a little bit of work whilst I digest, I would just, then I would sit down and I would do, you know, 30 minutes of practice. I'd have my 15 minutes of technique work, my 15 minutes of warm-up, go into, into some, you know, real-game situations, already priming myself with the kinds of problems that I need to work on, or the things that I need to, you know, every day there was a goal, in that sense, like small goals. And obviously, there's a, the, the biggest goal, which is to be the best team. The biggest goal is to find uh, ways to beat the teams that at the time uh, didn't seem beatable and understand how to close the distance on those teams. And then I'd be like, okay, maybe playing for like three or four hours. And I would find that after that three or four hour period, I would start to feel tired. Maybe it's around like 6 p.m. At that point, I respected the fact that I spent the majority of my good energy that day on the things that I wanted to be the most focused on. And then I did activities that I could get the maximum value out of in a state of being where I didn't have that much energy remaining. So that stuff like, you know, if I, if I wanted to watch something or if I wanted to read a book or if I... Whatever it might be, that would be the perfect moment to do it. And the reading was an interesting one, or listening to podcasts, because what you can do is you can make up for the fact that you don't have as much focus or maybe as much retention by writing stuff down. So I had a journal which, in which I was writing down any notes that I needed from those the podcasts or the book you know, that I was reading or the books I was you know uh, sorry the podcasts I was listening to or the books I was reading. And so I regimented it like this. I just try to optimize everything and make sure I always had really good sleep and I'd wake up early in the morning again and do it all over again. And again, this is like a very regimented way to do things, but I was just testing, you know, how can this work? But one of the things that, going back into, you know, know, the main point here to answer your question, reality, is that I recognize that sometimes you're just tired and you just have to respect it. Oh, and by the way, another thing, when I say I prioritize sleep, uh, that means that I try to make sure that I wasn't, using any screens like two and a half three hours before bed and if I was then I'd have you know flux on on with the maximum settings you know eradicating all of the, the blue light if I was gonna read the Kindle for like the last hour before I sleep I'd have it on really low brightness settings and all that kind of stuff and and just making sure I was as least stimulated as possible I limited caffeine intake so I wasn't having any caffeine after the last caffeine I would have would be about noon like twelve and then it would stop and I wouldn't have more than like you know one or two cups of coffee in you know during the day so so yeah, I've regimented it a lot to try to like figure this stuff out. I found out that worked for me, but ultimately, um, what you need to understand is that, generally speaking, it's sometimes you won't get your head back into the game, and that kind of sucks. and And don't be too frustrated with it; it does happen. Just recognize that you can maybe use that time in better ways, and maybe you can take a break and come back to it. Okay. Uh, next question is from Strong Legs at Real Strong Legs. Uh, this isn't so much about players, but I saw you post a supplement stack on Instagram. A while ago, do you take performance supplements for casting on airtime? Actually, so I I do like to, um, especially, I, I like to not take anything if I have the luxury of not being jet-lagged to high heavens, which obviously happens most of the time because we'll fly in, like we'll do like big international flights and then if we're lucky, we'll be there two days before the broadcast starts, which is still not nearly enough time to, obviously deal with the jet lag. And then on top of that, you know, maybe you get the late games or maybe you get the early games. I honestly prefer the early games because it helps you to kind of like, like you're not going to be sleeping that great. And so I just find that that helps me to get the best performance in the late games, you're starting to fall asleep. So those are really difficult to do. So in those situations, I will be using, you know, healthy and caffeine for sure. That's my go-to um, to help me. A lot of hydration is really important. I know that's not a supplement, but Making sure that you hydrate like crazy is really critical to help take care of your gut health as well as taking some other like gut health related uh, supplements. Um, I forget what uh, some of the ones that I was taking were called, but stuff that's kind of more designed towards gut health. I actually um, asked uh, Taylor Johnson, who's appeared on my podcast a couple of times. He's you know, a sports performance expert, what I should be taking and so on. So I took his advice and that's where I got you know, the idea for a lot of these supplements. And then when it comes to the um sleeping at night you know i'd take a, a stack of a mixture mixture of kava kava uh, ashwagandha and melatonin and that would be my go-to to try to like promote the best sleep and i would also again try to you know have the right habits and so on and try to you know focus on making sure that i'm exercising at the right times so having you know eating windows makes sense for the time zone that i'm in and just trying to do whatever i can to not <laughs> you know absolutely die of the jet lag and when I do everything correctly, it sometimes works really well, and sometimes not as well, but definitely way better than if I do everything wrong or do nothing because if you do everything wrong, you are absolutely wrecked honestly there's a lot of mistakes you can make, and I see a lot of people making those repeatedly, and there are some people that just don't do anything, which is better than you know than making some of the bad mistakes but yeah it's definitely it's definitely tough, so that's what I do. I think the exercises is a huge one, though. Like yeah, Exercising is really big. Right. And Bartomi asks, how to deal poor day performance while mid-game? I consider myself a decent player, 4K hours. I control tilt very well, but sometimes there are days when nothing works out, even if the thought process and decision-making was correct. And so this goes back, um, I think, uh, Bartomi, to you know what I was talking about in terms of you know, sample sizes and kind of the overall way that you look at the game. And it's good to hear that you... That you control your tilt very well, and ultimately here, I think one of the the things that you know you need to get out of this is understanding that it is part of the process. There's going to be shit days, you know. It, it is a grind, and there's going to be shit days, but those shit days are really important because they are part of the process. And and you know, like you say, you know, even if you're making, you have a good thought process and the decision making, you know, you you know, you don't disagree with any of the, of the decisions that you made. It's still, you know, part of the part of the process. Unfortunately, uh, any you know, not any one day is, is important. It's all of the days, you know, added up together cumulatively. That's important in how you spent those days and the time in those days. And I think that you know, one of the ways that we can uh, help to manage any poor day performances, as you're talking about, is again, if you have the flexibility to kind of alter your training during the day, you can just decide that you know what, I'm actually not playing that well right now today. Uh, And I feel like you know decision making and stuff is is pretty good. But you know what? I'm I'm not like having a great time here. So you can decide to actually try to spend the time doing something else while in the game still, whether that's some additional technique work, maybe if if that's you know some demo work, maybe if it's just some stuff that's relating to your team and working with your team, whether it's even just socializing with them or, or doing something like that. You know, anything that's good for you know team chemistry and relationships can be very beneficial. To your short-term goals, even if you don't stay with those players for a long time. But it can be definitely a consideration to just switch it up. Because again, one of the things we got to think about is the emotional relationship to the game. And, and although you say, you know, you control tilt very well, it is important to, to be having fun with the game. We don't want to lock ourselves too heavily into decision-making patterns. We want to be able to make good decisions, but we don't want to be in decision-making patterns uh, per se. And the reason you know, I say this is because when you're learning a game like Counter Strike and learning anything really, what you're doing is you're equipping yourself with more and more and more and more tools. You may just you may have just watched a POV demo of how one player anchors a site that you that you play, and you, you've learned a few new spots. And then you watch another guy, you learn a few new spots. You've, and you then you spent the next like three months playing all those different spots. You know you know those spots in and out, all the different options from those spots, and all the rest of it. And and each time you learn a new spot, you know, you spend a lot of time focusing on it. You're thinking about it. You're just going there to do that spot. You're doing that thing. But ultimately, uh, you know, what happens is that eventually, once, you, once you've you really felt that spot out and you understand it, you let it go. And then eventually, you know, you get into this, this spot where you have all these tools now. So now your brain is in this position where all of your experience cumulatively is going to be used. And then you just make a decision. You snap make a decision. You don't pick a spot that you watch from some pro player anymore you pick one of the tools that you've now finally crafted that's in your tool belt to go and deal with that spot as it's arrived to you in that moment off of your intuition that's where that's where greatness is in many respects it's accumulating as much knowledge as possible and truly experiencing all of that and then being able to use that as a perfect response as opposed to this is a pretty good spot or a pretty good way to play these kinds of situations so i'm just going to kind of apply that kind of just because those are the kinds of players that don't truly understand the game and and so you know if if you're in a situation whereby you feel like there's you're just not having a good time and you're not feeling like anything's all that constructive then i reckon you should just switch it up and do something else um i, I would say if, if you're getting a you know poor day performance if it's to that extent now, the other way to look at this question as well goes again back to the stuff we talked about with, you know, Elise and, and Jared Tendler, the A game, the B game, the C game. You, you can use it as an opportunity to, because everything is effectively an opportunity for one thing or, or the other, right? It's all, everything in life is opportunity cost in terms of time invested in and, and everything else. So here you could, you could say, well, okay, I'm in my C game. What does my C game look like? What is it? Let's create some reference points Genghis is going back to an answer that of a previous question. And then the thing that you can do there that's very productive is to understand ways you can play when your performance has gone quite as good. And the brilliance behind something like this is that not only are you accepting the fact that it's okay to have a shittier performance, you now have a tool to specifically deal with it, which will make you accept it even better and perform even better. And what that does is it alleviates pressure on you as a player because you already have accepted the fact that you're playing a little bit worse. And you're like, well, it's cool. I've got these things to deal with it. And you're just reacting to the situation as it comes. And this is, the, this is the most important place to be as a player, is always reacting to what's happening now in the absolute present. You don't want to be thinking to yourself, I'm going to make this play. And then by the time, before you can actually start the play, information's changed. The situation's changed. New things have, have come up. Whatever it is, you're just still like I, I wanted to make this play, and you're emotionally invested in making that play, and you make it anyway, even though at the back of your mind you know it's the wrong play. Now again, that's the that's the sign of a player that doesn't have enough tools, doesn't have enough knowledge, and uh, that's the sign of an unthinking player. So you want to be the thinking player. You want to be the guy that understands how to react to every situation as it occurs, and and that's that's something that also translates to you know various score lines. You know if if you're like you're facing a huge deficit that the other team could win any round. I mean, well, does it really matter? Like, you just, you're just you just playing another game. Like, you have this much money. You're in this situation. These are the things you've observed. Like, you know, you can kind of remove that from the equation. The end score doesn't really matter because you're only ever trying to win one round in when you're playing Counter-Strike. So what's the best way to go and win that round? And that's what you're trying to work out every single time. And so that needs to be the obsession. As soon as we can kind of like find different ways and it's different for everybody how we can kind of like finagle a way to kind of change the success criteria we can actually start to have you know just generally better mindsets and thought patterns and and you'll have a much different sense of how you even assess yourself as a player so oof okay with that I think there was one more question that was in my discord so I'm going to try to find it real quick and here it is I think this is a this could be a big and let's have a look uh, Steve asks, I have an incredibly vague question for you. I know that you've given this area a lot of thoughts. Like me, most people never think about mouse technique. By the time they think about it, how that could affect performance, they've already been using a mouse for many years. Everything they do is purely intuitive and analyzed habit. So what would a person in that situation want to think about in terms of beginning to analyze their mouse technique? What's important? What are major do's and don'ts? What are the most common mistakes you see people make? Okay, so this is a pretty big question. So this will definitely be the one to to close on. Okay, so oof, I did actually. I think I did some answers to this in another recent video. Again, it's all blowing together at this point, I'm doing so much uh, content around this stuff. Um, but uh, I think one of the things about a mouse is, first of all, you have to understand what grip you know you intuitively move towards. And one of the uh, one one learning tool that's really useful is looking at evidence from other people that may have a similar grip, and looking at the ways in which they use their their mouse. And being open as well that if you really want to mix things up, you know, you can you can decide to actually be like, okay, I'm going to change my grip. Now, that's, that can be potentially an issue. But generally speaking, I have to say, one of the things that I've learned is that most people actually intuitively use a grip that's good for them. What may not be intuitively good for them is necessarily the mouse or maybe the surface that they're using based on various anatomical considerations. For example, let's say I'll take myself an example: I'm a wrist player, and I naturally was using my wrist uh, predominantly when I was young. But I used to use heavy, big, right-handed mice. These were the wrong mice for me. As soon as I found a smaller, ambidextrous, lighter mouse, suddenly I realized because I was, I was using the same grip, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I just the mouse itself didn't quite uh, didn't quite fit with the way that my you know the size of my hand is, the kind of the range that I'm operating with from you know from a wrist player perspective. Uh, obviously, if you know if you're a palm player, that, you know there's a lot more. I think it's a little bit less finicky. Um, but that said, this is coming from a person that's predominantly been a wrist-based player. So I do think, though, that even if you've instilled some habits that have become intuitive over time, I think everybody's capable of learning new techniques. If you decide to make a switch to your grip, you just have to be very concerted in your effort to cement that habit in place and. In in this situation, you know, if you're trying to analyze things again, go to the pros that use the same grip, and look at the way pros use mice that you're using, and just look and then kind of compare the grips and so on. You know, use that as a baseline to work from, and start to kind of understand by looking at like self diagnosing through using aim trainers. Where are you weak exactly in the aim trainer? And that's a really important thing because if it's if you're weak in flicking or tracking or, or whatever it might be, then that is another clue as to what may or may not be wrong, whether it be mouse or grip related. And, uh, you know, without kind of, I think this is also one of those things as well, though, where for me, I want to kind of look at someone's specific situation. And I think I can usually have a good idea as to, you know, what a really good adjustment for them might be, just given my own personal experiences and experimentation. But, you know, there's the key right at the end there. The you know, personal experimentation is, is one of the most informative tools, and and again, you know, as I said before, like you know, everything is about knowledge, and the more knowledge that you have, the more things that you try, you know, will give you more knowledge, the more tools you have, and the more of an overall picture you'll have as to how everything works and what does and does not work for you, and then eventually, all those experiences and experimentation will lead you in the right direction, and I think, uh, I think that's probably the a good place to leave it. Again, this is, this is a really big question. I kind of don't want to get super stuck into it. I think I'll save this one to answer more thoroughly uh, to its own video because there's also a question that I answered that speaks to this as well in my Changing Your Settings podcast, which you can find on my YouTube or any podcast app. I think it's literally called Changing Your Settings. And that's about understanding what is what are the good reasons to change your setup and what are the bad reasons to change your setup and to help you guys to kind of figure out whether you're making a change in good faith. Or, 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 well, in, in in a way that makes sense or a way that doesn't make sense. But on that note, I will sign this one off. Thanks for listening. Cheers. And also, thanks for questions. Cheers.